This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show here on the 22nd of August. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave. And it is a good morning, even with a little drizzle, but not the kind of rain we'd like. Is that right? Yeah, we didn't get a whole lot overnight. There was some uh, shower activity early this morning, but uh, nothing to speak of, kind of like the drizzle we're getting now. But we're still almost four inches below normal, at least at the airport location for the uh, for the year. Yeah, isn't that something? Uh, and, of course, at least we don't have the heat that's going along <laughs> with it a little farther south. Wow, we're not going yeah. too far south. They're really getting warm temperatures. So this is one reason why, uh, you know, we have a little growing advantage because heat, particularly heat at night, mm-hmm. uh, really destroys sugars in, in corn and tomatoes, and it uh, takes all the color out of your annual and, and perennial flowers. So oh, boy. We're able to hold on to some of these things, so this is really an advantage to us to have these slightly cooler temperatures. But, boy, there's a change in the air when you get out there, and you could just you could just see something is happening. We're not moving into fall here, are we, pretty quickly, Dave? Well, let's hope not. we got maybe a month or so, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, getting closer, and the days are getting a lot shorter, that's for sure. Bob, we got a call right off the bat this morning. You ready? Great. All right, here we go. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, i got a question for you about potato beetles. I had just tons of them, yeah. but uh, uh, I got the neem oil now, and I've already pulled my potatoes for the year. Should I spray the neem oil on the the garden that I have now and cover it with that landscaping cloth and just let it go for a year? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a real good question. Um, the Colorado potato beetle, once established, it it uh, reproduces so rapidly, particularly in a, a year like this where you get two and three generations, you just get thousands of the beetles. Uh, and neem is not going to be particularly effective. You know, it's a, it's a bioactive material, but it, it's going to break down. They're going to overwinter down in the soil, and uh, you would need something that would be uh, much more persistent that would carry down into the soil. So it's going to be more biologically active on the foliage of the plant. It'll help some. Uh, most of our materials, tragically, the Colorado bata- uh, potato beetles has adjusted to and is resistant to so many of the over-the-counter pesticides if you should choose to use labeled products. And there are any number of them. I'll mention seven. That's the most common one that was used for years uh, for controlling Colorado potato beetles on the foliage when they're munching around on earlier in the year, of course. Uh, here's a thought for you. Uh, next year, you have a heavy population. If we have an open winter, in other words, if we drive, uh, we don't have a lot of snow early, we get cold temperatures, that will destroy a lot of the uh, pupa that are down in the ground. But more than likely, that's not going to occur. Our temperatures have moderated during the winter. So we're going to have them in the ground. You might consider delaying your planting. Now, you're already done and harvested, correct? Yes. So you went in about mid-May or early yes, May, I perhaps? Um, I did. We in May, I did. About what time again? Oh, uh, early May. Early May, yeah. That's kind of what I would expect if they were already harvested at this point. Uh, this may surprise you a little bit, but uh, why don't you try early to mid, even mid-June? You know, we've got enough season so that we can still get decent yields uh, from a later planting, but... Uh, the potato bug emerges from the soil and then doesn't have anything to feed on. Now they'll feed on pigweed and a few other things, but potatoes are their main source, so that first generation is going to have lots of trouble. And over time, a delayed planting like that can be helpful uh, in terms of uh, trying to reduce those numbers that you've got. 
if you have any options for moving the plot, the potatoes, another location, that's also helpful. Uh, they're not good flyers. They do a lot of crawling, and they work, work their way around. But uh, for us in the Midwest, they're a major, major pest. I've mentioned it before. I was talking, uh, actually visited an organic potato grower in Colorado, and I asked, how do you do this without any harsh chemicals? How are you controlling your Colorado potato beetle? This is in Colorado, and he told me we don't have any. And I said, well, where did the name came from? He said, same way, same way the uh, name of the state came, Colorado's uh, red, the Indian name for red, so it was red state from the Red Rock in Colorado, and the Colorado potato beetle has a red band across its back, so it, it picked up the name Colorado potato beetle. The reason they don't have any is their potatoes are growing up on these high plateaus where he said we get cold temperatures, minus 20, but the wind sweeps all the snow away, so we get very cold penetration. So open years, while it's necessarily good for other plant material, will destroy a lot of the Colorado potato beetle. But my thought, and perhaps the most reliable way of reducing the population, would be to, um, would be to plant later, and I'm going to say maybe June 10th or so, so we miss that first flush, and then use your neem oil on the plant itself as uh, any residual potato bugs, and there'll still be some, are, are going to feed. It will not uh, be effective under your wraps. It will not go into the soil. It's a biological. It's going to break down. So I, I think save your product for next year on the foliage. Okay? Okay. Could I, could I plant tomatoes in that spot next year and then move the potato garden to where I plant the tomatoes? Absolutely. Now, you make a good point. Even though they're kissing cousins, they're both uh, Solanaceae, for some reason the Colorado potato beetle does not like, it likes eggplant, which is Solanaceae. It, it loves eggplant even more than potatoes. It loves potatoes. And as you know, when they get out of control, they'll just take a plant right down to the ground. Oh, boy. I mean, nothing, yep. There's nothing left. There is absolutely nothing left. So they're vicious. And the population, particularly the second and third generation, gets very, very uh, high in terms of numbers. But they don't like the tomatoes, even though the potato and tomato are very close genetically. But they don't like the tomatoes. So put your tomatoes there. Rotate that way. Delay your planting. So we want to do everything culturally we can because you just really don't know, you, nor do you want to use any pesticides size if necessary, but you just don't have many. Even the neem oil is not going to be real effective, but it could be helpful kind of uh, uh, sweeping up some of the residual plants. So try all those things. Try to reduce it, and sometimes you have to uh, skip the potatoes for a year as well, or sometimes two years, and then that population with nothing to feed on naturally begins to decline. So those are some thoughts for you. I've struggled with them myself, and uh, those are some of the procedures that uh, that I've adopted. Okay, I move okay, Thank you. Yeah, move good luck. And delay planting them. Okay. Okay, I will. Appreciate thank the you. call. Thank you very much. All right, uh, Bob Olin show here on KDAL, and uh, we will continue after a quick break. All right, Bob, we are back. Uh, the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday, the 22nd of August. A week has gone by. Bob, how's the corn looking at this point? <laughs> if you had moisture, the corn looks uh, pretty good right now, right. actually. And the fact that we've got the little cooler temperatures, uh, that's all beneficial, holding some of the sweet uh, flavors. So some of the corn right. going to be a little more limited, uh, just like uh, our previous caller there talking about his potatoes. If you right. didn't have moisture for a lot of things, moisture is kind of the key, and we are still 
You know, we're four inches below here at the airport, but uh, certainly there's some areas of pockets that are even drier than that, as right. I talk with a lot of our growers, and uh, pastures in some areas are, are in great shape. In other areas, uh, they're still very dry, so they'll be trucking hay, and so many of them, which is uh, expensive and difficult. But nonetheless, uh, it's been a real interesting year that way, but moisture is the key, and I think uh, probably going forward, we're going to have a lot of variable weather. It's going to be a topic of conversation for the rest of our lives, I'm sure, Dave. Huh? All right, 928, we got another call. Hi, Bob. Uh, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Yes. Uh, I've got a patch of moline in my yard. I picked it by the roots. Uh, got it drying. Now, where do I, or how do I dispose of it? Uh, you know, give me the plant again, please. Moline, M-U-L-L-I-E-N. Okay, okay. Y- yeah, you know, um, you just want to get rid of it, right? Correct. Um, are you in the city of Duluth? I- yes. Okay, I think uh, you know the sanitary district uh, at their disposal site. Uh, and you might want to check with them for times and dates. You know, they compost, and they get a real hot compost pile, so it destroys all this material. So some of the invasives and so forth, they're not concerned about handling. They want to keep it to just vegetative material. But uh, I think that might be for you the most uh, reliable way of being sure that you get rid of it all. Oh, thank you very much, Bob. They'll have a good day. They'll take care. Thank you very much. You bet. I might mention trees, shrubs, clean vegetative material, and they're careful with what is what is brought in. They're uh, they don't want any construction debris, wallboard, or anything like that wow. in their products. So they're, they're going to watch what comes. But anything, even if it's uh, potentially diseased or invasive, they can compost out with a good hot compost pile. You can do the same thing, but you got to run it hot. You got to know what you're doing. Otherwise, a lot of these base materials can uh, can survive through that. But uh, there is a disposal site. Uh, they do a good job out there. All right. Very good. Thank you, Bob. Yes. Uh, how's the tomato crop going? Well, as our uh, former caller mentioned, you know, it's interesting about potatoes. And mm-hmm. uh, potatoes, with the, a lot of people are going to struggle with the potato beetle because of this. Uh, they, they had a real easy winter, you know, a lot of uh, snow on the ground early. So they all came through. Um, and the tomatoes... Um, Tomatoes are a fascinating uh, plant to me. As a matter of fact, I've seen, uh, I've seen lots of different responses. I think we're seeing some delayed ripening, and that's probably because of the drier conditions we've had. I've seen tremendous yields in some areas, and uh, I've seen very limited yields in other areas. So it's, it's all over the board. I'd, I'd kind of like to hear from our, even some of our listeners. It's the number one crop in North America, probably throughout the world. Which is interesting because for so long it was considered uh, poisonous, and uh, it's in the Solanaceae family, the uh, deadly nightshade family. But obviously, the fruit is not poisonous, and it's it's become the number one uh, backyard crop. Number one horticulture crop is potatoes, and that's mainly because of the the chips and the fries and everything else that comes from commercially. So by actually tonnage and production, uh, potato is a uh, it's a mainstay. It's a staple everywhere through in north northern climates and extreme southern climates where it's, we've got similar conditions. Uh, potatoes certainly are the dominant uh, horticultural crop. But uh, tomatoes, uh, in terms of the backyard crop, is number one. And we've got uh, we've got a lot of new productions, a lot of interesting things that people are doing with tomatoes. There's going to be a lot of salsa made here uh, very soon as the tomatoes ripen. And, uh, you know, we're people are doing a lot with fermentation. It's You know, Dave, it's kind of 
caught my attention fermentation lately, and of course I know there are listeners saying, well, why didn't you get on board this earlier? But always made like making sauerkraut. I think people should consider making some of their own kraut out of that cabbage. You know, oh. cabbage and potatoes were the mainstay for the folks that settled this area way back when in the 1800s and farmed the area. Uh, it was potatoes, uh, cabbage, and sauerkraut, which they fermented for storage. And then maybe they had a dairy cow. And actually, uh, so many of these original farmers, uh, uh, hard work and uh, limited diet, diet, but a very variable diet there, a very nutritious diet, lived uh, very, very long and very, very healthy and good lives. I mean, some of the old Finn farmers who were my uh, good friends, some have passed now, but at, at an older age, and uh, they did so well on these basics. And now we're kind of going back to some of these things. Cabbage was overlooked at one time, very, very popular crop. We had a big commercial cabbage industry or shipped a lot into the Polish communities in uh, down in Chicago, as a matter of fact, shipped it by the rail car, and we had some farmers that did extremely well for a while. Then, of course, taste shifted, and in that particular group, all very, very nutritious. We've kind of shifted to broccoli. You know, that's the cabbage family, so it's cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, Brussels sprouts, and kale, so the uh, public's tastes shift a little bit so they shifted from cabbage to uh, broccoli and now colored uh, cauliflower and cauliflower in general because it's uh, uh, you know it doesn't have any gluten obviously uh, you know gluten is associated with uh, the bran and, and grain products wheat products but uh, cauliflower is gluten free and uh, so it's become uh, extremely fashionable Brussels sprouts a year or two ago became extremely fashionable so things change, and now I think uh, we're getting more and more inquiries about uh, fermentation and making your own sauerkraut. So I've done that. Uh, I missed it a couple of years here, but I'm so, intri- so intrigued that I've got to do it again because uh, there is nothing really like homemade sauerkraut. The nice thing about this particular family, a couple of really nice things about it. First, extremely nutritious. It's loaded with all the vitamins, but also got some... Uh, what they call sulfurethane compounds or sulfur compounds that have been documented as protectants against certain types of cancer. So uh, there's always that interest out there. So this whole family uh, is very valuable. And when we start to ferment products, we pick up another group of uh, of vitamins, vitamin K family, K2 in particular, and uh, there's more research that indicates that that's an important part of our diet, particularly in in where we deposit uh, calcium, uh, whether it be in the bones or in the vessels, you obviously want it in the bones, you don't want it in the vessels, and vitamin K2 seems to be uh, a big part of this process, particularly in conjunction with uh, vitamin D and vitamin D supplementation. So fermented products uh, are getting quite a bit of attention right now, uh, important to these things called uh, probiotics in the uh, in the gut as we digest these things. So there's a uh, there is now a lot of bit of a lot of interest coming along in sauerkraut, but also kimchi and uh, certain types of bioactive yogurts and so forth that provide uh, this very diverse and unique uh, biome, this group of microbes that really are very important for uh, for good health. And they were a mainstay, and that's probably where we evolved. And a lot of the processed foods, you know, Dave, don't contain any of this at all. And uh, I think that uh, it's kind of intriguing the awareness that people have so a lot of interest yeah. long story there but a lot of interest in making kraut this year so if you got cabbage and the uh, cabbage didn't get 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 it all at least the colorado potato beetle doesn't <laughs> go after that group and uh so uh if you got it uh, consider uh using it fresh in your cold slaws or salads but also consider making some kraut pretty simple process really
Yeah, uh, sauerkraut then was originally made just for storage to make the cabbage last longer. Is that why? It was. Yeah, yeah it was. Matter of fact, we fermented all kinds of things. We ah. didn't have refrigeration, so we, uh, and in some countries in the world um, where they don't have, uh, you know, a distributed electrical system, I think of China, uh, cabbage production, cabbage is a mainstay uh, for sustaining that billion plus people, and they do a lot of uh, fermenting there. Uh, kimchi is a big product in China, big product in, in other Asian countries where they've got, uh, you know, you're fermenting the cabbage along with kohlrabi and uh, carrots and other things get fermented in the, in the various kimchi recipes. So I'm kind of intrigued. Uh, we might do a little bit more research, find an expert or two in the area, and we might do some educational uh, programming in that area since the interest seems to suddenly have just reemerged. So taste change, interest change. Uh, the nice thing is... Uh, we have got a good growing season, even when it gets a little dry, and we can uh, produce some really good products, particularly in this cabbage family. Lots of good stuff there for sure. All right, 937, we got another call coming in, and we'll get to that right after we do another break here on the Bob Olin Show. And speaking of questions, we do have another phone call. Hi, who's this? Hi, Don here. Okay, Don, go ahead. Say, the friends used to eat rutabaga and beets. Don't forget those. <laughs> beets, did you say? Rutabagas beets. and beets, yeah. Oh, rutabagas and beets. Again, the root crops. We're not going to forget those. Uh, absolutely essential. Uh, beets are another crop that really intrigued me. Uh, matter of fact, um, growing a lot of different types. There are so many heirlooms, you know. Uh, there's always this discussion, hybrids versus heirlooms, and, of course, so many of the hybrids allow us to grow these tomatoes and so forth, which are southern crop, but we've been able to selectively pull out some varieties that mature in a short period of time. But when we, So I'm not uh, biased necessarily against heirlooms, but when I look at heirloom tomatoes, I love a good brandy wine, but, boy, they're a challenge to grow. There's no disease resistance to speak of, and uh, they have a lot of uh, drawbacks in terms of how we produce uh, some of these heirlooms. But when we look at the beet crop, which you mentioned there, and uh, uh, rutabagas for that matter, uh, basically there are a lot of these are certainly heirloom varieties, and they perform just spectacularly for us. So, uh, you know, when we look at the beets, and you're so right in terms of nutrition, the red beet has a, uh, a unique antioxidant. I think it's unique to beets. It's betalin, which is different than the anthocyanins, the carotenoids, uh, and the other antioxidants that get so much attention, whether it be in blueberries. So we've got this group of things called the superfoods because they're not only very nutrient-dense, and I think of blueberries, I think that was the first fruit, and that might have been a marketing ploy where this term superfood was, uh, was uh, utilized, where we had a lot of the vitamin group, but we also had this group of antioxidants in the case of blueberries, that blue color from anthocyanin, which uh, helps protect the cells. Beets are a little different deal. Uh, when we look at the red beets, they have a very unique antioxidant called betalin, uh, as well as all the good minerals and vitamins that are there. And, as you point out, we can grow these crops and grow them uh, quite readily in this area. But beets, a lot of variability. You've got uh, our, our shioshas, which are the candy-striped beets, which are very unique, and I've, I've taken them raw and just ground them up on salads, and they add a lot of flavor, a lot of color. Uh, we've certainly got uh, our, our regular conventional red beets. We've got an albino beet, a beet which doesn't have the staining associated with red beets and, um, and has kind of a sweet texture. And then we've got the golden beets or the yellow beets, which uh, have come on strong. 
Uh, those were an original heirloom, but now they've done quite a bit of development because the original Yellow Beats, um, and I'll throw out a name here, Burpee's Golden. Burpee was one of the first that came up and started to distribute uh, Yellow Beat seed. doesn't germinate very well, so when one out of five seeds germinates, you get kind of discouraged. So the breeders have gone to work there, and we now have uh, several other yellow beet varieties or golden beet varieties that germinate a little bit better, maybe a little bit uh, higher quality. So the beet family, uh, and again, the nice thing, you can eat those greens as well and steam those. Yeah. So they're loaded with vitamin A. So good point. I'm glad you called. What about the Wisconsin beet? It's one I haven't grown. Tell me about it. It's, um, I read in a magazine on Wisconsin that they developed a beet, and they call it Wisconsin beet. Okay, I will take a look at it. I, and I have grown uh, probably 10, 12 varieties of beets, and that's one I have not grown and not real familiar with it. But I'm sure there's, there's new development in lots of places, and uh, certainly uh, we want to take a look. A lot of things that uh, come out of the Wisconsin breeding programs are, of course, very useful for all of us here in uh, northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota. So I have to take a look at that one. It's kind of interesting. we got the natural sugars. Sugar beet, of course, is a, is a major. That's a different, you know, totally different than table beet. Not totally different, but it is a different crop, different species, and different cultivars. But sugar content is there in beets. You talk about vegas beets, potatoes. We've talked a lot about these red crops. Great for roasting. Have you done, have you roasted these uh, and given that a try? Oh, I put them on my smoker. Excellent, excellent. They pick up the flavor. I think people say, well, I don't really like uh, vegetables one way or another, and I will say, have you tried roasting? Roasting is a process where we get the temperatures up, we get a little oil on there, so instead of uh, baking temperatures down around uh, 300, 350 degrees, roasting is going to be 4, 425, and certainly uh, beets of all types, along with potatoes, onions. Uh, you can put uh, the other members of the cabbage family. You've got to kind of be a little careful because the beets are going to take more time because they're such a solid vegetable. Your bagas go on there, and uh, they are just delicious. And smoking them on there, that's something I haven't tried, but I bet that gives them very good flavor, correct? Yeah, it takes about three, four hours on the smoker, and that's swell. Well, it does take three or four hours, okay. But right. Because my smoker is set at 200 degrees. 200 degrees, so it takes more time. Yes, yes. How about grilling? If you put them on the grill? A lot of people are doing that. Never. <laughs> so there's a, a town in Wisconsin that has a rutabaga festival. I can't remember the name of the town. Well, there was one issue? in Minnesota, too. Ascove had a big rutabaga production area, and Ascove was known for their... Uh, for their bagas, but uh, that has kind of uh, slipped away. I don't know if they ever want to bring that away, but they had big bega production in the Ascove area just down uh, Highway 61 here a little ways down and off 35 there. So Ascove, Minnesota was known for its bega festival as well. So they're, these are very, very nutritious crops that I think, you know, we're kind of going back to the old school. Like I mentioned, I was talking about fermentation. Now we realize, you know, the human species, we took us a long time, been on been around for a long time. We ate a lot of these products. We got away from it with all the processed foods that we're eating, and so much is processed. And getting back to these natural crops and finding a way to to make them really tasty and really enjoyable, because things have to taste good. And uh, if you're going to eat any amount of them, so I think your ideas of smoking, putting them on the grill, putting them in aluminum foil, a little bit of olive oil, a little salt in there maybe, and uh, 
throwing them up on the grill along with your burgers and your bratwurst, if you like. Uh, <laughs> you get your you get your nutrients, and they are very very good and very colorful. As a matter of fact, I, I appreciate this call because I'm going to do a program. I'm, I think I'm going to call it your Technicolor uh, Garden and Landscape because uh, color is related to all these nutrients and nutrient com- composition as well as the fact that it's extremely attractive and visually. And we've got uh, so much color with so many screens in our society that I think we're going to take a look at what color implies and a lot of these colorful pigments are what really bring uh, the flavors, they bring the uh, nutrient value. And when you talk about uh, grilling and uh, roasting veggies, you just put those red beets and the golden beets, the vegas, along with your your potatoes. And now, of course, we've got all the color in our potatoes. We've got all those purples out there that are wonderful and nutrient-dense. But you put that together and you open, maybe in some aluminum foil up on the grill, you open that up. And as steam rolls out, the flavors roll out, beautiful color right in front of us. And I think uh, very nutritious and very attractive as well. So I, I appreciate the comments and, yeah. and your thought about the Wisconsin beet. That, uh, that does intrigue me, for sure. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. You're making me hungry, Bob, so we gotta <laughs> we got to stop. Uh, I think we beat the topic to beat to I death. think we beat it out. Yeah. Uh, I, I did. I'll just mention I write a little article for the Steve Reporter, and I write. I wrote it this last. And I don't know. I think it's going to come out, hit the newsstands, and they're free of charge, available throughout the community. But uh, I titled that when the beat goes on. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I did mention some of these beat varieties. So if you're interested. Uh, that's going to be up uh, and available free of charge in the senior reporter coming out here pretty soon as well. Well, like everything else from the state, if it's a Wisconsin beat, it's got to be good, so we'll have to check into that. Well, I love the, you know, their potato breeding program, University of Wisconsin down in Madison. I know some of the breeders down there. I love <laughs> a lot of the introductions that they've had, and I was not aware that they introduced the beat or someone right. did in Wisconsin. We're going to look into that for sure, though. All right, more of the Bob Olin Show coming up. Well, speaking of the farmer's market, i got to figure there's a whole lot more uh, crops coming into the farmer's market each Wednesday and Saturday now. Uh, there definitely are, and uh, as that commercial we just ran there, uh, it is a celebration of community, and, uh, you know, it's it's really uh, bringing fresh product. we got a, a short-growing season. This is the opportunity to come because the, the benches are full. All of our growers are doing a good job, and uh, and there are a lot of intriguing things in Family friendly. We really want you to bring the families in, and we we see something that makes it warms your heart. We see sisters bringing in other sisters. We see neighbors bringing in uh, their neighbors who can't drive any longer. We see uh, uh, adult children bringing in their their aging parents, and it's just very gratifying. And of course, a lot of uh, of uh, mothers and fathers bringing in their young kids because we've got this program for. Uh, the young kids, they get a token, a $2 token they can spread on, spend on produce any place in the market. And uh, they're teaching them a little bit about buying buying good, fresh product. And uh, our emphasis there is really about getting young people to back to a better, more natural, uh, healthier diet. Uh, we're all aware of what's going on out there. And uh, we want to bring people back. And uh, your good health and good community is really a foundation of, uh, of a very good life. So that's what we're trying to do down there at Duluth Farmer's Market, and that's 14th Avenue East and 3rd Street. Wednesday afternoons at tomorrow afternoon, 2 to 5, and Saturdays, 8 till noon. Good time down there, and the product, Dave, is really coming in right now. All right, you were talking earlier about uh, fermenting uh, cabbage into uh, uh, sauerkraut. What's the difference, I guess, between fermenting and pickling? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Uh, the fermentation process actually, uh, you know, they are similar. Yeah. The fermentation process actually occurs at room temperature, and uh, where you're 
your pickling, when typically pickling, you're going to use a vinegar solution uh-huh. to get your acidity, where you just use a salt solution uh, when you're fermenting, and the fermenting process occurs at, at really at room temperature. So they're, they are different, but they both are methods of preserving. Again, pickling, we usually have got uh, some kind of a vinegar mm-hmm. component in there, and then we oftentimes water bath for 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 long-term storage of a pickle, as an example. So you pickle it, you've got the acidity, you've got some salt there as well, but uh, you're going to uh, water bath can it, so you've got long-term storage. With fermentation, the fermentation process goes on at room temperature, and then you, once that's completed to your satisfaction, you refrigerate for the long-term uh, preservation. And uh, typically no vinegar involved, it's just... Uh, uh, the salt process and the natural fermentation that occurs there. Yeah, you were talking beets, and I know pickled beets are pretty good, too. Pickled beets are, and actually <laughs> we talked about the uh, the pickled beet. There's different varieties. There's a variety out there called cylindra that grows like a big, fat carrot. <laughs> and so many people that want to slice beets for pickling, uh, they love that uh, that particular variety. So there are a lot of those, and they're good crops. We grow a lot of beets, and uh, they're available at the uh, Duluth Farmer's Market for people who want to pickle and as well as consume them fresh, so they're great. I'm guessing there might be a few tomatoes at the Farmer's Market by now. Oh, yes, tomatoes okay. are coming in, so that that's all good. Uh, you know, like everyone else, we're a little mm-hmm. bit slower we're, for different reasons, but, uh, but there definitely are tomatoes in our market, yeah, and they're very good, and uh, if you haven't had a locally grown fresh tomato, they're totally different than what you're may be accustomed to in the grocery stores and so forth. Very excellent, locally produced. All right, Bob, we got uh, drizzle and fog, but that's probably not going to do a whole lot to uh, water your crops, so keep watering them because we certainly are dry, uh, drier than usual around the area. Yeah, we are, and everyone's situation different. We've mm, had true. pockets where people have had a lot of moisture, but again, be conscious coming into the fall here that uh, if you've got particularly uh, in your landscape, you've got any perennials, so this could be flowering perennials, could be trees and shrubs. Now, the established trees and shrubs have got a root system that are down into that moisture level. They're going to be just fine. But if you did any planting this year in your landscape, uh, you want to make sure that, particularly if you've been a little drier, we still are, as you mentioned, about four inches below normal. So I would make sure that you're going to get a little bit of water coming into the fall because that's really critical, particularly that first year. So something that you may have planted in your landscape anytime during this season, uh, let's get some water to it. And we want to think a little bit about uh, deer protection on those trees and shrubs as well. Uh, even if you don't think you've had a problem, I think that uh, we can get deer just about anywhere <laughs> in our communities uh, throughout uh, northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. They thrive. Last year wasn't too tough on them. Pretty mild winter. They had snow, but uh, relatively mild. So the, the populations, at least in the urban areas, I know are very, very high. They go after woody material uh, coming into the fall. They're putting all that tallow on to get through the winter, so make sure you've got some fencing around them. That's going to be your best way of protecting these young tender trees and shrubs, Steve. Keep in mind, if you're heading south, uh, be prepared for hot weather. They've got uh, temps in the hundreds expected in southern Minnesota into southern Wisconsin today. Isn't that amazing, the difference? Or at least the feel-like temperature, I guess, uh, be humidity in- included. But I do think they're in the 90s. Is that correct? Oh, at least, yeah. It's at least amazing. that way, actual temperature. And I know that... We'll it, be in the 60s by the lake, maybe 70s inland. <laughs> so when you're out there in that fog, yeah. you say, oh, it's cold and drizzly. All you got to do <laughs> is think about uh, quick driving a little farther south, and it's, you're going to be much more miserable than you are you in go. this uh, foggy weather today. Dave. All right. Thanks, Bob. We'll catch you again next week for more of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. A lot of good callers. Always fun. Thank you, Dave.